Keep your Bibles open to Ruth chapter 3. Believe it or not, this is the middle of our service, so we uh, have a lot more singing to do. If you look at the order on the back of your bulletin, you can see that. Ruth chapter 3, I want you to imagine, <clears throat> imagine Ruth working out in those fields, the dry summer heat of the Middle Eastern fields or the Middle Eastern sun is upon her. And each day, Ruth would, would wake up in the morning, early in the morning, and go out to those fields, and she would work very hard. The dust would swirl around her. Her back would be sore from the bending down and the gleaning. Her hands would be cut and raw from the stalks. But she would remind herself that God loved her. She was a part of God's covenant family. Yahweh's blessings were upon her. And she would notice God's blessings as Boaz's reapers would, would drop, purposefully drop some barley for her. And he had given her permission to drink from his servant's special water. So she recognized Yahweh's blessings for her. But let's acknowledge that it was still difficult for Ruth, right? I mean, she still had Ruth the Moabite. She was a foreigner. Her accent gave her away. Her looks gave her away. She was constantly reminded of that. As she was in that field, she was a poor widow with other poor widows gleaning. But her focus was not on that. Her focus was not on what people might consider disadvantage. Her focus was on trusting the Lord, working hard. And in fact, there began to be a buzz about Bethlehem. Ruth was the topic of conversation. What were they talking about? Well, as the, as the men and the women of Bethlehem began to notice Ruth, they didn't notice any longer that she was a Moabite. They noticed something else. She was a woman of character. She didn't act like what they thought a Moabite would act like. Moabites many times had the reputation of being loose and immoral. But here was a woman who was faithful. She didn't, she didn't flirt with the young men in the field. She kept by the young ladies. She faithfully cared for her mother-in-law. The town folk spoke of her virtue. In fact, even Boaz, the most important chieftain of the Ephrathite family, even noticed her, and he highlighted her virtue. What everybody noticed about Ruth was this, that she was a woman of character. What we're going to look at this morning in our text of Ruth chapter 3, we're going to see the primary message that the author wants us to understand, and that is that Boaz and Ruth were, was a man and a woman of character. And he really wants to highlight this for us. In fact, what I want to do before I really go into Ruth chapter 3 is, is show this to you. So look down in Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. First, we really saw this last week, but first, the author of Ruth highlights Boaz' character. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So notice how Boaz is described there. If you have an ESV, he's called a, a worthy man. 
It's really not the best translation. The ESV doesn't do the best job in translating this. There's actually two Hebrew words that describe Boaz. One is gabor. That means mighty. That means strong. So he was a mighty man, but also hael. Hael means valor or excellence or worth. So Joshua's strong men, his mighty men, were called mighty men of valor or gabor men of hill. Hail. So the idea is they were mighty and they were valiant men. Gideon was called a mighty man of valor. So here is this Boaz, a mighty man of valor. So really the question is, how do you translate that Hail here? Is it, is it valor? Is it, is it wealth? Is it worth? If you, have an ES, if you have a King James or an NASB, it translates it as wealth. And so it actually could be possible that you could translate that way. It's not wrong to do it that way. But what my point is here is what I think what he's talking about is not the, the, the might of his resources in regard to his wealth, but the scripture here is talking about the might of his resources in regard to his character. Hael speaks of the strength of one's resources. And so I think the resources that the author is speaking about here is the inner strength he has, the resources of his inner strength. So probably the best way to translate this is this, that he was a mighty man of character. In fact, I looked this up in the Legacy Standard Bible, which is a new translation that's out, and they translate it as a mighty man of excellence. Now you're like, okay, why are you going over this? Because this word, Hail, actually is also used of Ruth. Go to Ruth chapter number three. Ruth chapter 3, verse 11, Boaz describes Ruth as a hail woman. Ruth chapter 3, verse 11, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman, a hail woman. And again, the Legacy Standard Bible translates this word as excellence. You are a woman of Excellence. If you have a King James, it's a virtuous woman. So, so both of these texts here highlight the character of Boaz and Ruth. Now think about even what I just said, a virtuous woman. Who else or where else in the scripture do we find the idea of a virtuous woman? Proverbs chapter 31, right? Proverbs 31.10. A virtuous wife or an excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. Now, when we look at the order of our Old Testament, we have it ordered for a certain reason, for a certain way. But if you were to get an Old Testament Hebrew Bible, you would actually see that Proverbs, or Ruth, comes after Proverbs. So you read Proverbs chapter 31, and then after that is the book of Ruth. And so what's interesting is it could be that that Solomon had in mind when he wrote Proverbs chapter 31, his great-great-grandmother, Ruth. In fact, if you read through Proverbs chapter 31, after you listen to this sermon today, you'll probably say that that is a very clear description of Ruth. And so, and so it could be that Ruth is this Proverbs 31 virtuous woman. So it's no accident that Ruth and Boaz are here described as a woman and a man of character. I really think the author here is trying to highlight this, that character of these two. Now, we, 
We used to hear a lot about character, didn't we? That is until the past couple years. An ancient Greek philosopher said a man's character is his fate. Booker T. Washington wrote a book on character, and he says character is power. People used to, in our culture, value character a lot more than they do now. But character counts, doesn't it? Character is important. Now, when we say character, what do we mean? It's probably good for us to think about what character actually is, since we're going to be highlighting that here this morning. What is character? Your character is who you really are. Your character is who you really are. It's who you are in the dark. It's who you are when you're all by yourself. It's who you are when nobody's looking. It's who you are when the pressure is on. Character really speaks of the inner strength of a person. One with character has a strong inner disposition to do what is right before God. One without character or with low character has an anemic disposition and is usually guided by their desires and by their feelings. So character is the reality of who you truly are on the inside. So here's my definition. I came up for character and going to help guide us here this morning as we go through Ruth chapter 3. Character is the God-given strength to do right even when under pressure and no one is looking. Character is the God-given strength to do right even when under pressure and no one is looking. I want you to notice here, it's, it's a godly character that is given by God. It's God-given strength. It's not something that we, we gin up in our own strength. We don't see Ruth and Boaz here as two self-made spiritual superhumans. Like they were sinners, just like you and I are. The, the, the story of Ruth here is not, these were two amazing people. Let's all be amazing people like Ruth and Boaz. Actually, they're, they're sinners before God, but they looked to God in faith and they humbled themselves under the mighty hand of God. So they lived in submission to their God, Yahweh, and they were who they were because God strengthened them to be that way. Their character, listen to this, their character came from their faith in God. And that's an important point. In fact, I want you to just notice this. Go back to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth is being told to stay in Moab. And she's being convinced or trying to be convinced by Naomi. But her character causes her to say, no, I'm going to stay committed to you. And what is the source of her character? Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, the very end of that verse. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. So this was a faith decision for her. Her character was guided by her faith. In verse 17, we see the same thing, that may the Lord do, do so to me. So this was a covenant relationship she had with the Lord. In fact, go to Ruth chapter 2, verse 12. Boaz recognized Ruth's character was based upon her faith in Yahweh. Ruth 2, 12 says, in the middle of the verse, the Lord, or Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Ruth lived in submission to the Lord. She came under his wings for protection. But even Boaz had this faith as well. Ruth chapter 2 verse 4. We saw that last week. And we're going to see it here again as we go through chapter 3. So the lesson, my point is the lesson here is 
not let's be like Ruth. Let's be like Boaz. The lesson here is humble yourself under the Lord and trust him to strengthen you to be like him. Character is the God-given strength to do what is right. And so the question is, will you trust God's strength to help you do what is right? So let's, let's, let's walk through this story and notice the character of Ruth and Boaz, two people who trusted in the Lord. Remember, Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, discovered that Ruth had been in Boaz's field, and she was pretty excited by that because Boaz was a redeemer. He was a close relative. Now you're like, why does that matter, Pastor Ben? What's the big deal with that? I mean, that might even seem a little creepy to some people that he's a close relative. Well, he wasn't related to her by blood, but he was definitely related to um, Naomi's husband who had passed away. According to Jewish law, when a man died, a relative could buy the deceased man's property. And, and the purpose of that is so that property, those resources could stay in the family. And as well, according to Jewish law, when a husband died, he and his wife, if they didn't have any children, um, I'm sorry, when the husband died, if they didn't have any children, then a relative could marry that widow and through her have children and thus continue the ancestral line. So the idea is you could actually redeem land, you could redeem the wife, the widow, so that you could continue the, the ancestral line for that family and for that property. And so Naomi hoped that Boaz would be this one, would be one of the ones that, or he was one of the ones who could redeem and maybe he would be the one who could redeem Naomi and Ruth and their land. So look down in verse chapter 2, verse 20. Naomi sees Boaz as God's providential provision. Ruth chapter 2, verse 20, the Bible says, And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he, speaking of Boaz, be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi also said to her, The man, Boaz, is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So, so he's, she's excited here that Boaz is the potential provision for them to secure their future. So look at verse 23. We see that Naomi has her sights set on Boaz, but nothing seems to happen. Verse 23, and she, that's Ruth, kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So you get to the end of chapter two and you're like, okay, this is going to happen, right? Boaz is going to go after Ruth. It's all setting up here. And then you read verse 23 and you go, what? She just kept working in the field and nothing seemed to happen. Like, where's the phrase that, that Boaz kept talking to her or Boaz looked at her from afar and he winked at her and she batted her eyes at him. And like, where, where's that in here? Like, there should be something like that, right? Well, the text seems to indicate that Boaz kept overseeing the field and Ruth kept working the field, but nothing else transpired between them. And so what do you do if you know two people should be together and they're not approaching each other? What do you do? It's called matchmaking, right? So that's, that's Naomi. She's going to do this matchmaking here. Now, how many of you were set up, if you're married, you were set up by someone that did some matchmaking for you? Anyone like that? Or, or how about this? Maybe we shouldn't have anyone raise their hand for this one, but how many believe you have the gift of matchmaking? <laughs> now, if you, if you go to this text 
and you see this text as your proof text of why you should be a matchmaker and how God has given you that spiritual gift, you might think twice when we explain what actually Naomi's advice was for Ruth. Because actually, I believe what Naomi advised her to do was, was spiritually dangerous. This actually was not good counsel that Naomi gave to Ruth. In fact, look at verse 1. Let's, let's talk through this. Verse 1, the Bible says of chapter 3, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? So Naomi reminded Ruth that, that Boaz is your best prospect here. <laughs> like, he's a redeemer. Like, you should, you should be looking at him and trying to figure out how you can get with him. And so she goes on to say, see, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So she worked all day long. It's a hard day at work. But Naomi said, your work's not done. Like, you got the barley. Now you got to go get the man, right? And so she wanted her to go back out that night and go to the threshing floor and find Boaz. Na Naomi knew that Boaz would be sleeping at the threshing floor because that was where the men of the city were that night and probably for the last number of nights, last number of weeks. The threshing floor was the place where the workers would separate the grain from the stalks. Then they would have their piles of grain. And you know, those piles of grain were worth a lot of money. So you don't, you want to just leave those outside. Animals could come over or, or someone could come and steal that. And so the men would sleep out on the threshing floors there at night to protect those things. Also, though, threshing floors became places to worship. In fact, you know that the temple was built on a threshing floor. So they were places to worship. And the idea was, is that God had provided this grain for us. And so we're going to praise him for it and worship him for it. Well, those who were pagan, though, they worshiped their idols and saw that their idols, their false gods, provided this grain for them. And part of idol worship was actually immorality. And so for many people who worship false gods, they would worship their false gods by having prostitutes come out in the middle of the night on the threshing floor, and they would celebrate the fertility that their God had provided for them. Therefore, the threshing floors also became places well known for where, where immoral activity would take place. So my point of saying that is that what Naomi was counseling Ruth to do was, was spiritually perilous. Let's go through this and look at it. Look at verse 3. So she counsels Ruth, wash therefore and anoint yourself. You've been sweating all day, so clean yourself up. Put on your cloak, go down to the threshing floor. Do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So Naomi's counsel to her was clean yourself up, put some perfume on, put some oils on, make yourself smell good, watch Boaz from afar, let him eat and drink, let him go to sleep. And then when it's dark, go up, uncover his feet, and hopefully you can have a conversation about marriage. Now there are two main views commentators have on Naomi's advice. There's one position that holds Naomi was telling her to offer herself to Boaz in an immoral way. 
So Boaz would sleep with her and be forced to marry her. So it was kind of like, if you want to marry Boaz, then go out there, offer yourself to him. He'll sleep with you, and then he has to marry you. Some see the uncovering of his feet as a euphemism for her offering himself in this way. In the Old Testament, uncovering actually is used many times of this. And so it's actually something that could be a legitimate interpretation. The other position holds that Naomi was just telling her to wake him up by removing the covers off of his feet. Kind of like when someone rips the covers off of your feet if you're sleeping. You know, usually if you're married, your wife is taking your covers from you and you wake up in the middle of the night and you're cold. It's that idea right there, right? He's going to be cold. He's going to wake up. He's going to see what the, what's the problem. And then he's going to talk to you about marriage. And like I said, both interpretations, I think, are legitimate. It's potentially could be either one of those. I would say this, that we know that Ruth and Boaz didn't engage in any immoral activity. So even no matter what position you take, their integrity was in place by the end of the night. I lean to the second position that Naomi was counseling Ruth to go wake him up in the middle of the night to see if he could um, marry, which he would talk to her about marriage. Either way, I think what Naomi was asking of her was improper, was not appropriate. In fact, we could see that down in verse 14. We'll, we'll look at this verse in a, a moment, but when they're leaving, Boaz says, listen, don't tell anyone a woman was here. And so in other words, he's saying, you know, what it usually looks like when a woman's there with you at night is that there's something immoral that took place. So I don't want that to get out as if something like that happened because it did not happen. So if Boaz was not a man of character, that night could have turned out to be a completely different outcome. It could have turned into a lustful, immoral relationship. But Ruth and Boaz, they had character. They did what was right before God. So look at verse 6. Ruth did what her mother-in-law instructed. Verse 6, the scripture says, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went down to lie, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. So Boaz was not expecting this. His feet were cold. He wakes up, and the scripture says here, behold, a woman. Now, why does that happen? Well, because I think he was pretty startled by this. But do you remember the last time we saw the word behold? If you were here last week, do you remember that? It was in chapter 2. In fact, look over in chapter 2, verse 4. And here, Ruth's working in the field. Boaz comes from Bethlehem. Verse 4 says, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. So the author signals in chapter 2, verse 4, to look, look. Here's what God's going to provide for Ruth. And then go to chapter 3, verse 8, and we see, behold, the woman lay at his feet. And, and again, here the author is signaling to us, look, look what God's going to provide for Ruth. And so what the author is doing here is saying, listen, focus your attention on God's providence. Look at what God is doing. And look at verse 9. And so he said, as Boaz said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. 
I want you to notice there in that verse, notice the humility of Ruth. Notice the modesty of her character. I mean, Ruth could have approached that and said, listen, you're a redeemer, and Naomi and I need to be redeemed, and so you need to do this is the right thing. Marry us, right? I mean, she, she had some right to come and call for him to redeem them, but she didn't. She actually approached it in a very humble way. Her, appro- her approach was to present her as one in submission to him and as one who wanted to submit to him as his wife. In fact, look at verse 9. She says, spread your wings over your servant. That's a symbol there of protection and of submission. I mean, think of, a, think of a large bird in its nest and those little baby birds down there. And that, that bird spreads her wings over her children. So she's protecting them, but also those little chicks are submitting to their, their mother. So Ruth was requesting that Boaz protect her, also Naomi, but also that she would submit to him as his wife. And I want you to notice here that she didn't manipulate the situation. I mean, Ruth had a lot of opportunities to try to manipulate and get what she wanted, but she didn't do that. In fact, she she doesn't even just throw out hints and try to get him to guess what she was thinking. When it was the right time to do something, Ruth did the right thing. I want you to notice that she came with this humble spirit, but yet she was also very open. You notice that? She was direct. She asked him, she asked for what she wanted. She wanted to be redeemed. And those two character qualities of humility and openness are wonderful, wonderful ingredients for a good relationship. Sometimes people approach a relationship with humility, which is good, but then they don't tell the person what they're thinking, right? It's kind of like the idea, I want to be humble about this, so I'm just going to not tell this person, and they're supposed to guess what I'm thinking. Like that happens in relationships sometimes, where it's like maybe, maybe a person you know, wants to go to eat at a certain place, right? And so, you know, the one person says, where do you want to eat tonight? And the other person says, oh, I don't know, whatever, whatever you think. Oh, okay, whatever you think, okay. Well, how about we go here? Oh, I don't really want to do that. Okay, well, that, why don't you just tell me what you're thinking? You know, that happens in relationships, right? And, and sometimes it happens actually even like in a church, church relationships where you, you expect someone else to know what you're thinking. So it's good to have humility, but also we see another ingredient here that's important, and that is openness, Humility mixed together with openness are like ingredients in a pie. Did you enjoy pie this past week? Right? When you enjoyed that pie, you didn't take out the ingredients and eat one ingredient by itself, right? You, you put them together, you cooked it in, well, someone cooked it in an oven, and you ate that pie, and it was hopefully a very sweet treat for you. And humility mixed together with openness, I think, actually is a very sweet, uh, is very sweet for a conversation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.11, we have spoken openly with you. Corinthians, open your heart wide to us. So Paul had this approach. He says, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to say, here's what I'm thinking. Will you tell me what you're thinking? So this this openness, this directness. But also Paul says later on in 2 Corinthians 10.1, he says, with humility I appeal to you. So Paul's saying, I was open with you, but also I did it in a humble way. Way. So Ruth comes with this humble, submissive spirit and directly asks him 
her request. Look at verse 10. Here's how Boaz responded. And he said, Boaz said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. Was Boaz excited by this? He was pretty happy. Like he praised God. He praised Yahweh for her request and even how she asked it. Notice he called her my daughter. Again, this was a way to recognize that he wasn't viewing her as Ruth the Moabite. He was viewing her as Ruth, one who had been accepted into God's covenant family. And then he goes on to say, you have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. So again, at the end of verse 11 here, Boaz says, you are a woman of character. You're a a virtuous woman. Ruth had character and it was given to her by God. In fact, notice that in verse 10. What kind of character did she have? Verse 10 says what? Boaz says that she had hesed. She had covenant love. Remember when we talked about that a couple weeks ago? He says in verse 10, he says, you have made this last kindness. He, that's, that's the word hesed for co- God's covenant love. Remember, this is God's covenant love that loves unconditionally, that loves faithfully. And so Ruth had this unconditional, this faithful love toward whom? Who did she love? Now, we would read this and might automatically think, oh, of course, it was for Boaz. She had hesed love for Boaz. Isn't that what he's talking about? I see how you love me. Is that what she's talking about? No, she's actually talking about, or he's talking about Ruth's love for Naomi. He said, look in verse 10, you have made this last kindness greater than the first. So what was the first kindness? What was the first act of covenant love that Ruth had. Well, that was chapter one, where Ruth left Moab and she stayed with Naomi because she was committed to her. So what was the last act of covenant love? Well, that's the tricky part here. Her last act of covenant love was actually still directed toward Naomi. And it was her act to love, I mean, her act to marry Boaz or her desire to marry Boaz. And so how was that covenant love towards Naomi? Well, Ruth wanted to marry Boaz to redeem Naomi's land, to give Naomi a baby, to carry on the name of her dead husband and sons. And that might be a little confusing to you, but we'll see that next week in Ruth chapter 4. So you can look at that, study ahead, Ruth chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. We're going to see Boaz will buy the land and buy Ruth from Naomi. Look at verse 11, and again, I want you to notice the character of Ruth. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Notice that the people of a town recognized her character. She was a virtuous woman. Your reputation is what people think of you, right? You go around town, you say, hey, what do you think about this person? They'll tell you what they think, if they know them. And that's your reputation. 
your character is who you really are. And for Ruth, her reputation, what the town thought of her, and her character, who she really was, both agreed. You could say it like this. When, when Ruth's public uh, reputation met her private character, they both agreed. I guess I wonder about us in here. Would you say that's true of you? Does, does the private you agree with the public you? What, what you present yourself to be, is that the same as who you truly are? Character is the God-given strength to do right when under pressure, and listen, when no one else is looking. If, if we were to take your, your private life, we were to take your home life, or maybe even your thought life, and we were to put it up on the screen, would that match who you are presenting yourself to be this morning? You see, see, character is God-given strength to do right even when no one else is around. And, and Ruth had this character. Her reputation in town demonstrated this, but it was actually true of her even when she was alone with Boaz on that threshing floor. I mean, think about the character of Ruth and think about this definition. Ruth was a woman of character when nobody cared what she did. I mean, Naomi told her to, to stay in Moab, just stay here and go back to your gods. Don't come with me to Israel. But Ruth didn't want to stay. She wanted to follow the Lord and she wanted to follow Naomi. Nobody told her to do that. In fact, in fact the only person who really cared at that moment told her to stay and told her the exact opposite. Nobody cared what Ruth did, well, except for one person. Who was that one person who cared? It was God. And for Ruth, that's what mattered right there. What does God want me to do? Ruth was a woman of character when it didn't seem to benefit her. I mean, when she was at that decision point, what was most beneficial? Well, I could be guaranteed to have a husband if I go back to Moab and I could have children and I could have that kind of life but she did what was right. Ruth was a woman of character when everyone expected the opposite. Ruth, a Moabite. Yeah, she's probably gonna act like those Moabites, but she didn't. Ruth was a woman of character when the pressures of life were upon her. She got up early in the morning. She worked all day long. She didn't take many breaks and nobody told her to work like that. There was no one over her shaking her, be like, get up, you gotta get some barley for us, you know? Get out there, keep working. Don't take a break, Ruth. You've already taken five today. No, she did it because she knew it was right before God. Ruth was a woman of character and her dignity. She didn't try to manipulate other people. Ruth could have been on that threshing floor and approached it with the idea that she wanted to seduce Boaz. I mean, here is a young woman. Here is a single man. They were on the threshing floor. I mean, maybe this would be a way for, get, to get him to like me. Maybe if he didn't want me, then maybe I could seduce him and maybe make him marry me. But she didn't do that. She trusted the Lord. She did what was right. She had character. Boaz, think about Boaz's character. I mean, it's, the, it's midnight. It's dark out there. And here's a, a, a woman. He can smell her perfumes. And instead of doing what the pagans did, he did what 
Yahweh wanted him to do. He did what was right. And I'm sure that Boaz could have justified in his mind, well, you know, I do have a right to marry her, and it's probably going to work out anyways. And so, so what does it matter if we just do a little something tonight? But he didn't. He kept his integrity. What's remarkable about the story of Boaz and Ruth is that their relationship was united based upon the bond of godly, godly character. How different is that than our society? Right? Think about our society. Think about those romantic relationships out there. Think about most of the movies today. What unites two couples together? Ah, oh, she makes me feel a certain way, right? Or, oh, she's so beautiful, or he's so handsome. Or we are so compatible. And the world's idea of a good relationship is one that's compatible, one that makes you feel good. The basis of the world's relationships is, is what does your heart feel like? Our culture's advice to young people is this, follow your heart. Can I just tell you, that's a terrible idea. The Bible says your heart is deceitful. Your, your desires are generally filled with lust. Here's actually godly advice for those of you who are not married and those of you who desire to be someday. Our counsel for young people should be this, to have for yourself God-given character and to look for a life partner who has that kind of character too. I think probably the best example of, of this feelings-based relationship in America is our movies. I don't, I actually even hesitate to do this. I don't like talking about movies in the sermons. I think it's, most movies are junk, so I don't like talking about it. But I thought, man, this, this actually is a really good example. Because just think about the mo- most of the plots for romantic movies. You have some kind of, some edgy guy, right? Kind of like a bad dude. And you have this hardworking girl. Some, most of the time, she's a good girl, maybe an innocent girl. And he falls for her. And for some reason, we're all duped into the lie that this good girl can change this bad guy, right? I mean, is that even reality? I mean, think about 10 years later. Do do we really think that after 10 years of their relationship that she has really changed his character? Like he's any different than he was when they were dating. Let me just kind of prove it to you, okay? I'm going to do a little game here. You're going to try to guess the movie and I'm going to describe the movie. So I'll do one for those of you who live in the 90s. And maybe you still watch this today. Here we go. Guess the movie. A lying, rebellious artist sneaks to first class aboard a luxurious, ill-fated ship. He lusts after a 17-year-old girl. She survives. He dies. Titanic. There you go. You got it. Okay. Wicked sinners. There you go. How about this one? This is for the older folk in here. So some of you younger ones might not get this one. A manipulative daughter of a Georgia plantation owner conducts a turbulent relationship with a profiteer during the American Civil War. Gone with the wind. There you go. How about this one? A girl lusts after a guy, and the only words he speaks to her is, as you wish. Then after he becomes a pirate, murders and steals, they get married. A princess bride, there you go. But I mean, and I know some of those are kind of jokes, but isn't it interesting how that is? It's like the guy's a little edgy, 
maybe actually a bad guy, a bad dude, and somehow that's actually supposed to work out in their relationship. But what's interesting about the story of Boaz and Ruth here is beauty and attraction are never mentioned in the book of Ruth. I mean, was Ruth beautiful? Maybe, probably. Who knows? We don't know if she was or not. But that's not the point. The point wasn't how did Ruth feel about Boaz? How did Boaz feel about Ruth? Boaz wanted to marry Ruth because he saw her covenant love for Naomi. He wanted to marry her because of her character. And obviously, I'm not saying that similarities and how someone looks doesn't factor into a relationship, right? I think we're all human. We recognize those are pretty important. But the most important feature that someone who is dating should look for in the other person is their character. And and so many times we can allow beauty and feelings or lust to cloud our judgment. I don't think this is really said very often, so I think it's probably good just to make sure we say this right now, that if you're a young person and you're a Christian, that you should date and marry a Christian. Like, don't date men or women, depending on your gender. Don't date someone who's not a Christian. The Bible actually says, 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So if you're dating an unbeliever and you're a Christian, the purpose of dating is to get married, then you actually, I believe, are living in disobedience. And beyond that, it's not just about marrying a Christian. We should look for someone who has Christ-like character. Now, when I was growing up, I grew up in Indiana. We would go to these fairs, and we would go to the, the pig barn. You ever been to a fair and seen those pigs, the prize pigs? And, uh, you know, like 250, 300, I don't know, 500 pounds are huge. They smell. You go in there, and just it's, it's really bad and gross and dirty, and it's not really something you want to necessarily be in, I guess. But it's really fun, I guess, if you're a little kid and you want to go to the fair. And I want you to imagine going to one of those little pens there, and there's one of those big, you know, 350-pound pigs, and he's snorting, and he's rolling in the dirt, and, and someone puts a beautiful nose ring on that pig. So it's a gold nose ring on that pig. Would that pig be more appealing? Would you look at that pig and say, oh, well, it's a lot, it smells, there's dirt, but that nose ring's pretty nice, right? I mean, obviously, no, right? We'd say it still smells, it's still, it's still gross, well, Proverbs uses that illustration to teach us about one's character. Proverbs eleven twenty two, Like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without character. So, so a beautiful face put on a person without character is like a beautiful ring put on a pig. The, the pretty ring might look good, but the pig still stinks. Right? Solomon counsels us in Proverbs 31, 30 about the virtuous woman. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. So here you have Boaz and Ruth, and and both of them desire to marry. But there's a problem. They actually can't get married until there's a problem that's solved. Look at verse 12. There was another redeemer who was closer, and he had the right to redeem first. Look at verse 12. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. There's no one that's more closely related to Naomi than I am. So remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you good, let him do it. Now let's stop right there and think about this. Did Boaz actually want to marry Ruth? The answer is yes. 
But what was more important to Boaz? Was it doing the right thing or marrying Ruth? See, what was the right thing? Actually, there's someone else who's a closer relative. He actually has right to the land and to marrying you. And so I, I can't do this without offering it to him first. And can I tell you right there, that had to be very hard for Boaz to say. But he said it, and with conviction, I believe, because he wanted to do what was right before God. You know, here's the thing that's difficult. When you're in a relationship, and especially when you have some type of love in your heart for someone, some type of romantic love in your heart, to do the right thing sometimes is very difficult, isn't it? Look at verse 13. If he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, kind of imagine that he raised his voice on this one with excitement. As the Lord lives, I will redeem you. So lie down until the morning. So we see that both, both the character of Boaz and Ruth, verse 14. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. So their character was intact, but he wanted to make sure the reputation stayed that way too. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she, so she held it and he measured out six measures of barley. And then notice what he did. He put it on her. Oh, there you go. That's sweet. Then she went into the city and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Tell me about the date. How did it go tonight? And all young women go, mom. <laughs> but not her. She really wanted to tell what happened. She told all. That's what all mothers really want right there, right? Tell me every detail. She told all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. So here we see Boaz is still pouring out love, um, covenant love toward Ruth and Naomi. In verse 18, we see Naomi and Ruth trust in the providence of God. She replied, wait, my daughter, till you learn more, till you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So she had to wait a little bit longer, but even in that, they're, they're trusting that the Lord would work this out. So let's conclude this. What's the point of this text? Remember, what was the point of this text? The point of this text is not to be like Boaz and Ruth. It definitely noticed their character, but what was their character like? Here were people who trusted God to do the right thing. Even when the pressure was on, even when no one else was around. And see, we can't just look at this text and say, I, I, I can do this right here. I, I want to do this right here. So that's what I'm going to do. Why can't we do that? Because there's only one person in this whole world that has ever lived that's actually been able to do that and have flawless character. And who's that? Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. He took on flesh. He's the only one who actually had perfect character because he has the perfect character of God because he is God. Jesus was the only one who was strengthened by the Spirit of God to always do the right thing, even when under temptation, even when he was all alone. Only Jesus had the character to be able to earn favor with the Father. And that's why only Jesus 
is the Redeemer. Jesus purchased us with his death on the cross. Jesus rose again, proving he paid the debt for our sin. And so if you're in here and you're without Christ, the, the, the lesson from this is not be like Boaz and Ruth, have good character. The lesson is this. There's only one person who can change your heart and forgive your sins. There's only one person who can transform your character. There's only one person who can change your standing before God, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, he died, he was resurrected so he could change you. The Father promises if you call upon Jesus to save you and to rule your life, he will apply the character and the work of Christ to your life and your sins will be paid in full. But what about for us as Christians? What's, what's really the lesson for us to go away with here? We, we, we have had the work of Christ, the character of Christ applied to our life. So what should we do? Well, we should, on a practical basis every day, become more and more like Jesus. And so I just want to think about that as we conclude here. Because in 2 Peter, Peter says, here, here's the character of Christ. And he lists character qualities like knowledge and, and self-control and faithfulness and godliness and brotherly love and all this. But before he does that, he says, Here, here's how a Christian is able to live like Christ. And that is that his, that's God's divine power has been granted to us. So God has given us divine power. That's grace strengthened power. To, uh, granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So in every part of our life, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. How can you have Christian character? Well, God has given you power, and you're also to look in the word. He says there, he says, through the knowledge of him. Who's him? That's Jesus. Where do you find the knowledge of Jesus? It's in the word of God. So honestly, it all comes back to the basics. What are we to do? Go in the word, read our Bibles, know Jesus, and trust in the divine power of the Holy Spirit to help us to live for Jesus Christ. What do we need to do as a result of this message? God has given to us his divine strength to do what is right, even when the pressure is on, even when we are all alone. There's no excuses. If you're a Christian, there's no excuses to say, ah, oh, well, this is just who I am. This, this is who my parents are. This is how my grandparents were. Well, this is just what our family is like. No, actually, there's no excuses. God has given you divine power so that you can live like Christ in all areas of your life. So how do you need to grow in Christian character? Let me ask just a few questions. Is the who... Is who you are on the inside the same as the person you are on the outside? And if your inner person were to stand up here and greet your public person, would they agree? And if the answer is no, then friend, you need some help. You need some help. And we would love to sit down with you and counsel you and help you. You need some help. And most importantly, you need to go before the Lord and seek forgiveness from him. Young people, are you praying that God would allow you to marry a person of character? Are you becoming the person of character that you should be? Is that what you value? Is your character, is your character a priority? Or is it your looks? Is it your social acceptableness? Is it, is it your trophies? Is it the things this world loves? And church, I think we should all ask ourselves this question. How can we become more like Jesus Christ? Let's pray.